Hi, this is Carrie. And this is Sandy. And you're listening to Crime, crime Bitches, Bitches Countdown, Countdown, where every other week we'll be discussing a different crime category and telling you the 10 most interesting cases, at least according to us. This week's episode focuses on the Alford plea. The Alford plea is a plea deal where the defendant does not admit to committing the crime, but concedes that the prosecutor has enough evidence that they could be found guilty. This typically results in a lesser charge and less jail time. This is different than pleading no contest. A no contest plea cannot be used against the defendant in other legal proceedings, such as a civil case, but the Alford plea can. The plea is not permitted in all states and is at the judge's discretion to accept. In an Alford plea, if it's used, there can be no compensation for the time spent in jail as the person ha still has a felony on their record. This is beneficial for prosecutors for multiple reasons, including saving face and keeping the win. On to you, Sandy. All right. So, well, the first case I have to tell you about, obviously, is going to be the one that started it all, um, which is uh, a man named Henry Alford. And this took place in 1963. Um, obviously, 1963, so there's some limited details. But right. uh, a man named Nathaniel Young owned a party house, is what they called it. And Alfred, Henry Alfred went there. He brought his girlfriend with him. They were drinking, um, and he gave uh, Nathaniel Young his last dollar to get a room for a few hours. This was kind of the way the house was. Brothel much? A little bit, I'm going to go with. Okay. So he and his girlfriend go into the room, but then they left a few minutes later, so I'm not touching that. I don't know. <laughs> Someone has some issues. <laughs> and Alfred wanted to leave, but his girlfriend didn't. So Young was like, well, she can stay here and it's fine. So that, of course, started a fight because that's what you do. Fighting over girls. Absolutely. Uh, later that evening, there was a knock on the door. Young answered the door and was shot. Now, no one actually saw the shooting, but there were three witnesses who testified. So... The first witness said Alfred had said he was going to kill Young, that he was going to go back and kill him. Okay. The second witness said Alfred had come back and gotten his gun. And the third witness said afterwards, uh, Alfred said he did kill Nathaniel. Interesting. So before, m during, and after. But no one saw the actual shooting. So um, at the time, first degree murder required the death sentence or life imprisonment. And second degree was for 30 years. In order to uh, not get the death penalty, it was kind of said to him, like, maybe you should take the offer. Or, well, at the time, it wasn't the offered plea. I'm sorry. Yeah. He should admit to doing the crime and um, just take the lesser, the lesser charge. So he did that. Um, but the judge also took into account his extensive record. He apparently had a pretty long criminal record. Mm-hmm. So he got 30 years, and uh, of course he appealed his sentence, and he said that he only admitted that he had done it. He only pled guilty due to coercion and duress, but the plea was ultimately decided to still be valid. So this is how the offer plea actually came into existence. Interesting. Um, it is quite interesting. So after this, uh, as you had mentioned, you can only do this in some states. Some states don't recognize it. So we will move on to our next case. I am going to tell you about uh, Benjamin Foley. Now, this is a case I actually remember uh, when it happened, and I don't know if you will, but it was a girl named Taylor Bell who was murdered. Okay. This was in about 2005. 
Uh, she was a freshman at the Virginia Commonwealth University, or VCU is what I'll probably refer to it as. Okay. Uh, she was only 17. Ben was 38. He was an uh. amateur photographer. Uh, they had actually met in February of 2005. She had gone to the campus to visit to see if she wanted to go there. And she was going to stay with a friend of hers who was already enrolled. And Ben happened to be the roommate. So after she left... Wait, there's a 38-year-old roommate in college? Yeah, apparently they had off-campus housing because there's no way he lived in the dorm. Yeah, that seems a little shady. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so after she left uh, the visit, she continued to communicate with him via email. They stayed in touch. At some point, they were intimate, but it doesn't tell me if it was, like, that night or if it was after she enrolled, or when exactly it happened, but it definitely happened. Either way, she's 17, he's 38. There you go. That's Probably a problem. Probably not legal. Probably like a not, a lot not legal. Yeah. Uh, so, she goes missing. He was the last person to see her. He was seen on video leaving campus with her. So, obviously, he's the prime suspect when she goes missing. Um, police found out from friends that, yes, the two had had sex. So they used this as a way to, like, get in and search his apartment. They wanted to um, see if there was anything they could find, any kind of clues. What they wound up finding was a large amount of extremely graphic child pornography. Ooh. But that's a good way to get him in jail. Yeah. So they can investigate. Even if you can't. But I'm surprised just having sex with a 17-year-old is enough uh, to warrant searching his place. It's a felony. I guess so, because at that point it's statutory rape. Yeah, she's a minor, so. Um, but the best part is what, why he, where he said the pornography came from. He said it was the previous tenants. I'm going to tell you now. First of all, I would have called the police, and second of all, I would have thrown that shit out. But, uh, yeah, you don't just keep that shit around for the fun of it. I'm just saying. So, he was an amateur photographer, as we said. He, so, he had a lot of pictures on his computer. Very random things. Uh, abandoned houses, secluded locations, maps. Um, that's asked, not shady at all. But he was an amateur photographer, so sometimes they do have some weird pictures. You gotta kind of admit that. Good point. Um, they, he had an ex-girlfriend that okay. they went to and they said, Hey, look, we want you to take a look at these photos. See if there's just anything that rings a bell or, or maybe says to you something's odd. To, to try and find her? Like, if she knows where these places are? Or yes. if they see something weird in the picture, like, Hey... That looks like somebody could be murdered there. I think it was more to identify places. Got it. So she actually did recognize one of the buildings. Oh, good. It was an abandoned house that was near her parents, and she had previously taken uh, Folly to that location. Cool. So he knew where it was. She knew he knew. Mm -hmm. The police thought, well, she's been missing for a month now, so why not go check it out? Of course. So they go to the property, they search, and they find her body in a shallow grave. Uh, She was too decomposed to determine the cause of death. Wow. But Folly was arrested, and he's, his excuse was that Taylor, who was 17, wanted to be choked to the point of passing out during sex. You know, erotic asphyxia. Yeah, of course. He said at her request, he bound her arms, and I, some of them said and her legs, I'm not sure, um, and put a bag over her head while they had sex, and he didn't realize she passed out. Now, even if you wanted erotic asphyxia, I don't see you putting a bag over your head. Yeah, putting a bag over someone's head is really dangerous. I get the bound um, arms and legs. Totally understand that. Not that I would know from personal experience or anything. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a, 
asphyxiation usually is, you know, somebody putting their hands around their throat because there's also, you know, somewhat of a control aspect to that, which is what people like about it, plus the asphyxiation. And you know, again, at any point when they do pass out, a bag is really dangerous, especially if you're not paying attention. So yeah, you could put a bag over somebody's head, but what could happen happened, which is she basically died. How you're having sex with a person and you don't know that they've randomly gotten limp? There's that question too, okay? Because, um, like, shouldn't there be some motion? Exactly. Like, I, I mean, I understand bound he arms and legs, but you would still, if you're, you're, you're into what you're doing, you would still have some, some sort of, you know, engagement with it. When you're passed out, you have no engagement because you're passed out. Yeah, I think you'd notice, but apparently not. But again, this is what he said. And all of her friends were like, there's no way. Well, not only that, but he's kind of dumb to taking her to the one place this ex-girlfriend showed him. Like, does that not ring huge alarm bells of, oh, maybe if I want to get caught, I'll take her to somewhere that I know someone in my life already knows about? Yeah, I'm just, look... We're not talking about smart people here. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so later on, he comes out and he says, all right, we had sex. It was consensual, but she got mad at me and she threatened to tell her mom that I raped her. So I got mad and I killed her. Um, That's a good reason. Prosecutors don't believe that, of course. They think that she must have rejected him mm -hmm. and he got mad and killed her. So well, either way, regardless of the instance, you killed her. Not well, a I good think response. Ultimately, it's like, do they charge him with rape, too? Well, she was a minor, so technically they can, but do they have proof? Like, there's a lot of questions there. But either way, it doesn't matter because none of that happens. Well, either way, he, he murdered her. He admitted to murdering her. The why, yes, although relevant, doesn't change the fact that he murdered her and they have him for murder. Yep, and he was going to get uh, charged with child pornography as well and first-degree murder. So as he should have been. Well, instead he took an Alfred plea, and again, we said lesser charges, so they dropped the child pornography charges, and he only got charged with second-degree murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Got it. So that's him. He's a very special man. Yeah, obviously. Now, but these charges still stick. Like, they're still on his record if you ever get charged with anything else. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So but not the child porn that, that right, got dropped. Right, that would hmm um, I wanted to say this is the, I think this might be the first female killer we've done, but I don't remember if I did one for Familicide. No, I don't think we did. All right. Well, then this will be our first female. Sweet. Her name is Kelly Ryan, and this took place in Las Vegas, December 2005. Apparently, 2005 was a really awesome year to get killed. And apparently take the Alfred play. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe. So, Kelly Ryan was her name. She was a bodybuilder, actually. And Ooh. she was married to a former Mr. Olympia. Ooh. His name was Craig Titus. Um, Seems appropriate for... Pictures of these two are interesting, to say the least. I mean, they are just muscly people. I imagine, yeah, they're both jacked. I bet they met in a gym. Or a it was either a gym or a contest, I think. Oh, I can't point. remember which. Good point. Uh, I think it was a, a competition. So, in 2005... Kelly's burned Jaguar was found um, in the desert with the body of Melissa James in the trunk. Melissa was 28 years old, and she was actually Craig and Kelly's personal assistant. She had been beaten, shocked with a taser, injected with morphine, and burned. In addition, there was duct tape wrapped completely around her head. So, even if she had been alive, I'm pretty sure she'd have suffocated. Damn, talk about excess. I'm just saying. So, the story goes that Craig and Melissa were having an affair. But Kelly knew it. Melissa even had her own room in their house. Um, 
not something you normally do for your personal assistant. Yeah, it, it seems there was more going on there. At some point, they said maybe Kelly and Melissa were having an affair. Yeah. I mean, rumors are terrible in this kind of a case and very easy to fall into. Yeah, but open relationships happen, so, I mean, they it's possible. absolutely do. So, Craig and Kelly said that Melissa injected herself with morphine and overdosed, and this part blows my mind. They were worried about ruining their careers, so they disposed of her body. Because if you get caught, that's not going to ruin your career more. No, I, no. I would sooner... Okay, I'd I... rather report it. Yeah. And take that shot. Exactly. And on top of that, like, what's, go what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say you were doing drugs and stuff? He would already admitted to using steroids, so what difference does it make? Right, so a needle in the house. Not untypical. But what what motive does she have to inject herself with morphine? Well, I think they all were doing drugs. Um, and morphine just happened to be the one of choice? Is that something people do? Or is that just something bodybuilders do? Morphine. Get high. I think that's something people do. But really? I, I, yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. I, I mean, you know. look, Tide Pods. That's all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. But yeah, like um, murder, way worse in the publicity eye than you know, this person overdosing your house. And, you know, you can always spin that. No offense. Not that I'm advocating that people spin crimes or anything, but you can always spin that of, oh, she needed help. We got her the help that she needed, blah, blah, blah. But no, let's murder her. That's a better option. Absolutely. I definitely. Um, because her body was burned, they couldn't, the coroner couldn't determine her uh, cause of death. So they weren't sure if it was overdose or strangulation. There was no way to prove it. Um, there was a lot of evidence in the case against Craig and Kelly, but I have a fun fact because I actually learned something awesome. researching this case that I did not know. Tasers actually record a timestamp every time they're used and they leave behind taser dots. Yes. Taser dots. dots. Yes. Did you know what they are? I've never even heard of that. Well, I imagine whenever you get electrocuted by anything, there, there's residue on, on the electrocution site from when the electricity, where the electricity comes in and where it comes out. But you're just thinking it's a mark. Yeah. No, these are actually tiny dots of foil and they're marked with the cart, the serial number of the cartridge. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That is so awesome, isn't it? Things I didn't know. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty um, cool. But again, fun facts. I'm sorry. Going back to stupidity of murderers. <laughs> why would you stick this woman in your car and burn your car? Jaguar at that. I mean, I guess if right? you have money, you'll care, but like, but yeah. I mean, bodybuilders don't make that much. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's done pretty good for himself, but... I if he was Mr. Olympia, I mean, I don't know what those well, prizes are worth, but I think they're worth I mean, quite a, a good bit. bit, but you don't see, like... Of course, you're also doing drugs and blowing it on good that. Good point. So. so you probably don't have that much. So, yeah, why would you burn your own Jaguar? Like, that's not going to raise questions. Hey, found your car with somebody else's body in it. Hmm. Odd. Yeah. yeah, and it was found pretty quickly after, too, because I guess when they had been taking the car to the desert, a friend of theirs uh, had followed them. And there was a truck driver who saw the whole thing, <laughs> well, saw, saw the cars, let yeah. me put it that way, saw them speed off and then saw a fire in the desert and called the police. So it's not even like it had time to burn because they were called pretty quickly. So they brought a witness <laughs> to their crime. It's our friend. On a, a witness, highway a that obviously they could see a fire from. Wow. These people. Oh, yeah, it's it just special. It really gives new meaning to the word meathead. Do you feel like you could do this better? I, I, sorry, maybe because I'm not a murderer. I don't think of 
you know, the stupid ways I can get caught and, and I think of better ways maybe to not get caught. And maybe that's the problem with people who aren't trying to be murderers is, is we understand the intricacies of the decisions that we're making. But, uh, you know, maybe that's just me. Well, on top of all of this, then you have the people who run their mouths. Kelly, of course, ran her mouth. And she told a neighbor that she and Melissa had argued and it turned physical. And Craig had to step in and he body slammed Melissa multiple times and then put her in a chokehold. So that is not looking well for your case. Well, I understand from one aspect, telling the neighbor so that there's some, you know, evidence that, that a problem happened and giving yourself kind of that alibi. But you're basically saying Craig murdered her. I was going to say, I... but two body slams and a chokehold is not reasonable uh, physical to try and help a person. Especially when you're a bodybuilder. Exactly. It's not like you're a lightweight who did exactly. it. Exactly. You're a for real body. Like, if I tried to body slam someone, first of all, I couldn't. <laughs> like, not unless it was a 12-year-old. And no offense, I'm not body slamming 12-year-olds. But it, it's not going to go well. So to know that you have that kind of strength to do that and to use that, you know, unrestrained force, totally excessive. That's not going to look good. Not at all. So in the trial, Craig pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 21 to 55 years. Kelly pled guilty to arson and took the Alfred plea on battery with a deadly weapon. She was sentenced to 6 to 26 years and was released on parole in October of 2017. So wait, battery with a deadly weapon? Where did that come from? I, I'm going to guess the fire is considered a deadly weapon. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah, I'm, assu I'm <laughs> assuming. I didn't even question that. I just, <laughs> Sorry. I just I made just an like, assumption wait. there. Wait, where did the battery come from? Okay, anyway. Next case. Next case. All right. So we're going to talk about John Dylan Adams. And this case is a little bit complicated. Um, this is the Holly Bobo case. I don't know if you've, if you've heard this one. This is another one that I completely remember. This girl, and, and Taylor too, beautiful girls. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. So this happened in 2011. Holly was 20 years old. I'm going to let you know how this went down and then kind of get more into the details. Her brother, Clint, was asleep, and the neighbor called uh, Clint and Holly's mom at work. Her name was Karen. She said she heard a scream from near the house and was concerned. So Karen, of course, called Clint and was like, what's going on? So he looked out the window, and he said he saw Holly and a man in camo out back. It looked like they were arguing, and he assumed it was her boyfriend. Okay, so first of all, let me just stop there. You call your neighbor and you hear screaming, so you call the mom. Not the police. The mom. There could be a million. Maybe they fought a lot. It, yeah, It's not I clear. I mean, there could be a million reasons why. Who knows? Uh, my my impression of this area is that it's very country. Mm -hmm. So I could be totally wrong about that. But... Oh, so they don't call the law. Yeah, well. <laughs> they handle it themselves. And I think there's some drama. Um <laughs> Karen knew the boyfriend wasn't there. He was planning to go turkey hunting. They'd had a whole conversation, so she knew it wasn't him. This part blows my mind, but she told Clint to shoot him. So that wouldn't be my first go-to, but that was apparently her first go-to. So, again, I feel like there's some surrounding issues here. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, lack of police involvement kind of goes to the country mindset of, I'll just take care of it myself. Why don't I just shoot him? But 
yeah, it would seem that there has to be some more to this case than that, because I don't just go randomly shooting people that show up at my house. Uh, yeah, I didn't understand As much it. as I want to, I don't. And, and Clint wasn't comfortable with it, because he honestly thought it was the boyfriend, so he was like, I don't want to shoot him. Like, that's well, and weird. You, you don't know who they are, what they're there for. You know, it could be a legit reason. Hell, it could be a solicitor. You don't know, and then you just shot him. I completely understand where the kid's coming from. Yeah, and I mean, he was, I believe, I can't remember now if it was her younger brother. I want to say he was. But he was in around his 20s, too. Like, he was, it's not like he was an older guy. Um, the last time he saw Holly, she was being led into the woods. That is concerning. That is concerning, yes. Uh, obviously, they called the police by this point. They came out. They didn't oh, really wow. find any evidence. And the case went cold. In 2014, police started focusing on, uh, the guy's name I said was John Dylan Adams, but he goes by Dylan. Um, so they started focusing on Dylan and his brother, Zach. Zach was known around town. He had a meth problem. And my favorite thing in the world is that he had previously shot his mom in the knee during an argument. Oh. So, over drugs. So, uh. So he had a history. good quality. <laughs> Dylan got arrested on an unrelated weapons charge and police thought, let's question him about Holly. Well, the problem is they said Dylan had a low IQ. And so questioning him... Maybe he was coerced and didn't tell the truth. It's hard to say. Dylan said he saw Holly at Zach's house, and a guy named Jason Autry was there. And Zach told Dylan that he had raped Holly and videotaped it. Now, they searched for this videotape, but no one ever found it. So it's not clear if that's accurate. Yeah, no one knows. Um, but based on this information, Zach and Jason got indicted. In prison, because as we talked about, smart people. Zach went to a fellow inmate and said, look, I need you to send a message to my brother and you tell him, keep his mouth shut. I'm going to put him in the hole next to her. So wow. that's not good. No, and there's no way that could get back to any law enforcement. On top of that, he also said to this inmate, um, I'm not worried because police have no gun and no body. But they hadn't told anyone that the cause of death was shooting. So he knew. Again, yep. if you're a murderer... Probably wise to keep your mouth shut and not add witnesses. I'm just saying. Dylan also implicated Shane Austin. Shane was questioned, and he agreed that he would lead police to her body in exchange for immunity. So he took him out to an empty field. They searched. They never found anything. Hmm. Uh, later, they tried to revoke his immunity, and he committed suicide. So sucks. hard to say the story there. Now, at this point, like I, I told you about the cause of death was a shotgun, mm -hmm. but they hadn't found her body until right around this time. A guy was in the woods. He was looking for ginseng. 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 Yeah. My bad. My yep. bad. I don't English good. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's an English word. <laughs> but it is, a you know, a highly prized thing to search for in the woods. Yeah, I, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> uh, so the guy's in the woods. He's he's hunting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he finds a bucket. Don't ever look in the bucket, okay? Because it's probably a bad idea. It no, bags human... too. Bags. Don't Don't open trash bags. Unless they're barking, in which case, please open trash bags. Or meowing. Or meowing. Yeah. God, I hate people. Me too. Uh, in the bucket was human remains. In particular, a skull that had a gunshot wound, teeth, multiple ribs, and a shoulder blade. So they did some testing, and it turned out to be Holly. Where's the rest of her? I'm going to guess, like, animals probably took her. And, like, but, like literally her whole body put a bucket in a bucket. That's I what I mean. Know. Maybe and they dug just, her like... up later. You just stuck her in a bucket and just said, ah, oh, here's like a good place. Let me just set this down. Didn't even bury her. Not that that would deter animals, but really? Look, 
Again, we're not talking about smart people. Right. So in 2017, during Zach's trial, Jason Autry testified against Zach. He said that uh, Holly's body had been wrapped in a blanket and he was going to help Zach dispose of her. Zach said he was going to gut her and dump her in the river so that the fish would be attracted mm-hmm. and eat her body. But once they got to the river, she moved and she moaned and Zach shot her in the head. Because I guess at this point she'd just been beaten up pretty bad. Oh, damn. They didn't even know if she was dead. Apparently not. That's crazy. So the defense argued that the prosecution was exploiting Dylan's low IQ and that, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. But but what's great is that, and I can't blame her, but Dylan and Zach's mother even testified and said uh, neither one of them had the focus or intelligence to plot a kidnapping and murder. It's pretty bad when your mom says you're a dumbass. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. But how much, as we've learned from all of these cases, how much intelligence does it really take to commit a murder? I don't think murder is the part that requires intelligence. No. Getting away with it yeah. requires a lot more than most murderers have the ability to follow through with. It's very true. It's very true. Because, I mean, all, to commit a murder, realistically, if you have a gun, it's one trigger of a finger. That doesn't take much. No, no, it doesn't. You can have no intelligence, as we've seen, sadly, in in the news lately, of two-year-olds picking up guns and shooting their siblings, so... But don't get me started, because even the ones who think that we think may be smart enough to get mm-hmm. away with it, like if you take somebody like BTK, do you know how he got caught? This is totally side No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this dumbass got away with it for so long, and then he had been communicating to the police and stuff through newspapers right. and whatever. Yeah. And so he sent a message to the police and he said, if I send you a floppy disk, like a hard disk, would uh, would you be able to trace it back? And they were like, no. No, not at all. He believed them? He, Are you kidding? He believed them. And so he sent them this disk with stuff on it and they traced it back to a church and oh my that is how he got bu- like how much does that suck though if you've just spent like years and years and years getting away with shit and then you just did one dumbass thing okay i'm sorry it well part of i think the serial killer thing or even in killers in general is the you know the sensationalization that they get from media in some yes. cases and especially in his case i think he was looking for that hoping you know that that wouldn't get him caught just never Guess believe the not. police. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but legally the police can lie to you. Oh, yeah, They totally. are fully permitted. So don't trust that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, back to this. Zach was sentenced to life plus 50 years on first-degree murder, kidnapping, and rape. Jason Autry pled guilty to solicitation to commit murder and facilitation of aggravated kidnapping, and he was released in 2020. And Dylan took the offered plea. He got 15 years for murder and 35 years for aggravated aggravated kidnapping to run concurrent here's my thing though if his story was true he didn't actually kidnap her he just came after the fact but he got more time for that than for murder okay there's something wrong with our system when you get more time for kidnap than murder oh it gets worse fantastic we ready for number whatever this is i don't (laughs) even know we should probably number these i probably should number these because i have no idea which one this was go for it all right, we're going to talk about Darren Mack. Darren Mack's a piece of shit. He married a woman All of named... these people are stand-up citizens. <laughs> so very true. He married a woman named Charla. I, I don't know if it's Charla or Charla, but I think it's Charla. In 1995. And they lived in Reno, and Darren owned a successful pawn shop. He was raking in the dough. Uh, I imagine out there you probably really make good money in the pawn shop business. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you, but pawn shops just screams to me illegal shit. 
Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I'm not saying all of them. No. But no, no, no. Definitely. There's some. Yeah. Uh, so in 2000, they married in 1995. In 2005, they had a very contentious divorce. Mm-hmm. And a judge who oversaw the case, his name was Judge Weller, he ordered Darren to pay $10,000 a month in al- alimony, which obviously... Damn, he had to be making serious bank. He was, apparently. I don't know how much, but apparently... I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit, but yes, he apparently had a lot of money. More than I have. <laughs> um, they also had a child together. Uh, June 12th, 2006. So remember they got divorced in 2005. In mm-hmm. 2006, a shot rang out and it shattered the window of Judge Weller's office. Luckily, it didn't hit him, but the shrapnel mm-hmm. from the window hit both him and his assistant and they were both injured. A couple of minutes after this, SWAT was gathered. They were looking for the sniper because they figured it had to be somebody shooting from a building. Police got a phone call from a guy named Dan and he was a friend of Darren's. And Dan had a bit of a story to tell. He said he'd been at Darren's house when Charla dropped off their daughter. And he and the daughter stayed upstairs because Darren wanted to speak to Charla. He apparently lured her to the garage. Now, they're upstairs. They don't really know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, Dan's dog starts yelping. Aww. And so, of course, it's your dog. You're going to go check on them. Yeah. He goes down to check on him. And Darren brushes past him very quickly with a towel over his hand. The dog comes in from the garage covered in blood. Darren's gone. Usually not a good sign. No. So Dan took the daughter and left. Obviously, he's not going to just, like, leave her there. Of course not. And Darren called him and said, let's meet over at Starbucks. So he did, which I'm not sure if I would, but okay. Well, at least it's a public place. True. That's true. But I don't know. The whole thing would strike me. I I would have questions. See, but I have questions. I have questions, too. I'm not sure I would give, give over a child... With someone that I saw. Well, he didn't. He didn't give over the child, actually. Oh, He good. met him at Starbucks, and Darren wanted to talk to her for a couple minutes, so mm-hmm. he did, and then he peaced out. So, Dan had the daughter. Well, that's good. At least she was in good hands. So, police were called. Obviously, he's telling them, like, this is just weird. This, I don't know yeah. what's going on. Something strange happened. Um, She was found behind the garage, stabbed to death, and Darren peaced out and went on the run. Interesting. He was missing for, like, I think 10 days, and they found him in Mexico. He surrendered. But this is where I say the money part comes in. He had $360,000 in cash on him. Dang. Right? I'm just saying. Anybody with $360,000 in cash, you want to hand me the cash, and then you can go to Mexico. You don't take half that. Right? Okay. But, okay, so this little girl, now you just killed her mom, and as her dad, you just fucking left. Yep. Wonderful. Poor kid. Yeah. I mean, and you basically lost both your parents that day. Exactly. Which, I mean, you probably should have lost your dad considering, but, you know, not under those circumstances. Yeah, it's a shame, really. And I feel for kids who have to live through that. It's terrible. So Darren took a deal. Uh, He basically said, I'll plead guilty to murdering Charlotte because I totally did. Uh, But he wanted to take an Alfred plea for the attempted murder of the judge. I'm assuming he could have gotten a significant amount of time because it's a judge and when people yeah, are in positions. Not. But th- at that point, did they have any evidence that he did it? I think it was all circumstantial. Nothing concrete. Obviously, he felt like they had enough evidence that he was going to get charged with it. So Absolutely. He got life in prison for murdering Charla and 40 years for the attempted murder of Wella, Weller with the eligibility the for parole after 16 years. 
they were to be served consecutively, so he won't be eligible for parole until he has served 36 years. Still, that seems too soon. Some of these cases, like, you're not... This one makes me mad. When we get to the very end, the next one, I'm going to explain to you why. Well, I won't even have to explain to you. You'll get why it makes me mad. <laughs> okay, so who's the next case? Our next case is Tina Resch or Tina Boyer, depending... Now, this is an interesting case because she was actually quote-unquote famous in the 80s for something called the Columbus Poltergeist case. And I know that you hmm. like paranormal type stuff. So I didn't go far into this. Cool. But I thought it was kind of an interesting tidbit. Mm -hmm. At 14, kind of weird things started happening around whenever she was angry or upset. Uh, she was actually studied by a parapsychologist and a psychiatrist. There were photos taken of supposed paranormal activity. There are some apparently pretty famous photos. So they think she was a telekinesis? They do. Got they it. do. The thing is, there, there's always trauma around that. A lot of times when you see those cases, there's trauma. Yeah. She had been adopted when she was just a couple months old. And at age 12, she alleged that her stepbrother had molested her. So Dang. this all started happening at 14. You see that a lot in yeah. some of those cases. Yeah. No one believed her. That's sad, though. It is. And I guess there were some some issues at the house. So at 16, she ran away, and she married a guy named James Bennett. Now, I have no idea how old he was, but I'm mm. assuming he was a little bit older. How could she get married at 16? I don't know. Were they... I mean, this was in the 80s, so I would think you would have to have parental consent then. But... Exactly. Unless they're in, you know, some weird state like Maryland. They were in Ohio. Well, Ohio oh, is <laughs> okay, okay, it's Ohio. That makes sense. <laughs> it was in Sorry, Ohio. Ohio. Okay, so anyway, it wound up being an abusive relationship. Um, she eventually was able to escape, but he continued to stalk and threaten her. I mean, he was just, if I can't have you, no one will kind of a guy. Well, when you've got that kind of trauma as a teenager, then you're probably not the best judge of, of relationship. Probably not. Material probably not. At 16 years old. What a shame. Yeah. So she had a brief relationship with another man, and she got pregnant. It never tells you who this man is. She's never... Oh. I don't think she's ever admitted it publicly. But she had her daughter, Amber, who was named Amber Bennett, mm -hmm. on September 29th, 1988. Now, she has a lot of history. This guy, the first husband, he would continue to harass her even after she had the baby. And Was he she would... divorced at that point? I think she was in the process of getting divorced, but he kept refusing to sign the paperwork. Yeah. And, you know, it was a game. Yep. He would also call CPS and file a whole bunch of false reports on her about the daughter. Sadly, so, that happens. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, she was um, very involved with social workers. Mm -hmm. In 1990, she married a guy named Larry Boyer, who also turned out to be abusive. Um, unfortunately, a lot of women wind up in these cycles yeah, they continue abusive to... relationships. Yeah. Yes, if it's they so don't sad. get if they don't get help, they have this cycle of self-deprecation and feel like it's deserved. So they continue to seek out these people that you know seem good on the outside, but just perpetuate the same feelings in them. Yeah, it's it's quite sad, and you see it a lot. Um, if you if you do any kind of work with domestic violence, it, you see a pattern for sure. Yeah. A social worker warned her if she didn't leave this guy because he was abusive, he'd only hit her, but there was concern for her daughter. Of course. And the social worker... Stop him. Right, exactly. And the social worker said, if you don't leave, the state will more than likely come in and take her from Yeah, from because you. they don't... They understand the potential is there. If she, he's abusing you, then there's nothing stopping him from abusing your daughter. 
So this time it didn't take her quite as long. I think having her daughter was was a very big motivator to Good. leave quicker. Good. She left, and in 1992 she met a man named David Heron. He had a daughter that was around the same age as Amber, um, so that kind of worked. I mean, they both mm-hmm. had their own childcare. They dated for a couple months. They um, really got to know each other. She began to trust him after a few months, and especially because of the daughter. He had his own daughter of who course. was treated rather well. So she started to leave Amber with him when she had to go to work or run errands or things like that. One night, he picked her up from work, and she noticed that Amber had a large bruise on her forehead. So she asked about it. I mean, obviously, any parent would. Concern. Yeah. And both David and Amber said she had fallen. They explained the situation the same. Everything seemed legit. I mean, kids fall, right? Yeah, but no offense. Even if it wasn't, if it was, especially if it wasn't my kid... And something had happened. I would immediately inform the actual parent of, hey, just so you know, she just fell. There is a bruise. In his defense. In his And I'm not trying to defend this man by any means. It was the 80s. No, this was the 90s. I'm sorry. But we still didn't have cell phones. Uh, So it is possible he couldn't, didn't have a way to reach her to inform her. Good point. But she's at work. Surely she has a phone at work. You would think, and I'm pretty sure she worked for, uh, she actually worked for the parapsychologist and the psychiatrist. That's pretty cool. Um, They were writing a book, Mm -hmm. and she was working on, like, uh, typing out the notes and stuff they had. Yeah. So, yes, um, she was at their house. So, she believed it. She said Amber had always been, like, rambunctious. She was kind of clumsy. You know, she was only three. Kids are kids. Mm Mm-hmm. So, on April 14th, she left uh, Amber with Heron while she went to work. Later, uh, he had his daughter as well, but later he took his daughter and dropped her off at her mom's, which all very normal, and so it was just him and Amber at home, and when Tina got home, he said Amber wouldn't wake up, and she was pissed because the baby had been sleeping all day, like, she's not going to sleep tonight, she didn't understand. When she went in, she saw, like, she really would not wake up. Uh, They rushed her to the hospital, and she was pronounced dead, unfortunately. That's awful. In a case like this... People turn against each other. That's one of the first things you do. So they both accused each other of being the one who committed the crime. Now, Tina wasn't there, but you could argue that there had been an indication that there was a problem because she had come up with bruises multiple times and they just attributed it to her being a kid. And plus, Amber even said, like, she had fallen. There were reports that Amber had internal injuries that indicated that she was sodomized, but it's very heavily disputed. So, some people say it's true. Other people said that the person who, like, the hospital, when they said this, they didn't actually know. They didn't have the experience to make that determination. Okay. So, it's totally up for debate. But at some point, David said that he sodomized her twice and hit her. What? Right. But he recanted that later. So, there's no way to... It's hard to know. It is, but if there's a suspect from the hospital as well, like, I mean, sorry, but mm, when you're doing something like that without any kind of provocation, there is no lubrication. Therefore, there's probably going to be marks internally from, you know, forcible entry. So you'd think you'd notice that. Maybe even if you weren't sure exactly how, but there would be some signs. Yeah, there has to be something that would give you that indication. Exactly. I've never investigated, obviously, cases like this. And and one of the things they said is that, well, he was coerced into making that confession. And that's totally possible. We've seen it. But 
I don't know. I'm going to say right now that I would never admit to that shit. Now I Oh, <laughs> hell no. I say that, but people have admitted to some crazy things under It's true, questioning. but still, I mean, like, I don't think I could admit to something that I didn't do, even to get a lesser sentence. I mean, the whole point of the Alfred like plea that is that you feel like they have enough evidence to convict you. But even if, if I thought you had enough evidence to convict me, I don't care. If I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Well, here's the thing. He's not the one who took the offered plea. What? So, yes, this is where I get mad. Okay, so Tina never admitted to hurting Amber. Both of them got charged. But Tina took the offered plea. She was going to be charged with murder. And first of all, that blows my mind because she wasn't even there. How could she be murdered? Exactly. Be charged with murder. And they charged them both with uh, cruelty to children as well. And I could maybe understand that charge. Like, if you're saying, well, you neglected to get her the medical attention she needed. For what? Maybe. For bruises? Look. This is what I got. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't go running to the doctor every time I got a bruise. Yeah. yeah. I'd be po. Well, she took an Alfred plea to murder, and she got sentenced to life plus 20 years with no parole. Wow. Right. Here's the part that's going to get you so fired up. David was charged with cruelty to children and got 20 years with the possibility of parole. Wait, what? How the hell did he get off easier than her? In her he, she was in his care at the time that she was died. How? How? How is that even possible? I got nothing, and, I, and it, this bothered me actually a lot, and I tried to find, like, an explanation for this, but I got nothing. Like, okay. she shouldn't have been charged, not with murder, not at all with murder especially not if he wasn't and at the very least like he should have got manslaughter yeah at the very least but oh my gosh anybody know this that. case anybody related to this case want to explain this to me because that makes no sense i give my child to somebody else they die in that person's care and i'm the one that's charged with murder unless they're poison long-acting poison i don't see how that i could have killed my kid from afar and there are other cases that are similar. I mean, where one of the parents gets charged with murder who was not even there. I've that seen no other sense. cases like that. I don't understand it, and it made me so angry. Okay. We'll go on to the next one, because if I stay on that too long, I will get very yeah. irate. Yeah. Let's talk about Michael Peterson. Have you ever heard of this case? Mm, doesn't ring a bell. Have you heard of the documentary or the movie called The Staircase? Yeah. So this is The Staircase case. Got it. Michael Peterson. He was an author. Uh, he married Kathleen in 1997. They had some money issues. They, He's I don't an exactly, author. I don't exactly know why they had money issues. Mm -hmm. That's not very clear. And he had also tried to run for mayor. I don't think he was successful, but that had caused some issues with them as well. I don't know if it was like a taking time away or right. what the problem was. So Kathleen Peterson, she's found dead at the bottom of the stairs. Um, the... Paramedics said it looked like she had laid at the bottom of the steps for hours before her husband called police. Wow. He said they had been sitting outside by the pool drinking. She had also taken Valium. She went in, he stayed outside, and was completely unaware that she fell on the steps. Wouldn't at some point you wonder where your wife went? No, she went in. Like, she was going to go in and go to bed. Oh, so got no, it, got no. it, got it. No. Okay. But why would you stay outside for hours by yourself, too? Well, and, and he called it 2.40 in the morning. So, you're telling me he stayed outside until, like, 2 in the morning? That's, that's... 2.30? Yeah. I mean, like, 
If he's drinking, having a good time by himself, maybe, but highly unlikely, I, would, I feel. I feel like that, too. But stranger things have happened. Uh, there were a whole bunch of theories on what could have caused him to murder her, because that's what they assumed he had done. They were $100,000 in debt, so that's life a big one. insurance. Her life insurance policy was worth $1.8 Oh, yeah, that'd be enough. That's a nice chunk of change. Yep. Additionally... Michael had been soliciting male escorts and paying for sex. Prosecutors thought Kathleen may have found the photos on his computer and got mad. That caused a fight, and he beat her to death with a fire poker. Kathleen had, had been married previously, and she had divorced her husband due to infidelity. Michael tried to say she knew about this, and she was fine with it, but her whole family was like, she would never be okay no, with that. No, no. Um, additionally things that go against Michael. There had been a previous death of someone close to Michael that was in a very similar manner. So this is crazy. Her name was Elizabeth. She was a close friend of Michael and his first wife. Her husband had passed away and they had started to spend more time with her and her children. In 1985, she was found at the bottom of a staircase with head injuries. Oddly enough, she had the same number of lacerations on her head that Kathleen did lacerations from like the fire poker yeah so do they think these lacerations could have come from stairs i mean i think I... they think it's from the fire poker now well in kathleen's case in elizabeth's case this happened in germany and the autopsy that was conducted there listed the cause of death as a brain hemorrhage so they thought that she had a brain hemorrhage and then just fell and that's how she died but after all of this had happened texas had her body exhumed, and they did another autopsy, and they listed her cause of death as homicide. Mm. After she had died, no one had accused him of anything immediately. He adopted her two daughters, because um, they had no parents anymore. So he right. took them in, and they stood by him, and they believed that he was completely innocent. Mm -hmm. In his first trial, he was convicted in 2003, and he got sentenced to life in prison without parole. Is this for Catherine or Elizabeth? Kathleen. He never Kathleen, got Tried for Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Got it. Um, he appealed. He had a new trial in 2017 where he decided to take the offered plea. And the charge got reduced to manslaughter. He was sentenced to 86 months in prison and released with time served. What? 86 months. I don't math good. I want to say it's like almost eight years. And since he had been in jail for... Let's see. His first trial was in 2003. 2003 yeah. And his second trial was in 2017. Still. So he was released. Crazy. Now this part's crazy. There was a whole other theory about maybe what could have happened to Kathleen. Okay. They thought, some people, that she was walking into the house and she got attacked by an owl. <laughs> you laugh, but this was a very serious theory. They think her head lacerations could have been caused by the owl's talons. And maybe she stumbled into the house after the injury and collapsed on the stairs, and that's where she died. The, one of the reasons they think that it's possible is that there were microscopic owl feathers in her hair, and she had hair in her hand, like she had ripped it out of her own head, and it had owl feathers mixed in. Okay, that is super strange. Isn't but that weird? As for someone that works with wildlife, owl's talons are very sharp. And they a had an fire owl poker. A fire poker, on the other hand, is rather blunt in comparison. But if it's a deep enough cut, like... Maybe you couldn't tell. They had an owl expert look at it, and mm -hmm. he said it could have happened from an owl. The fact is, we're never going to know. No, but that's... 
if it wasn't okay if it wasn't an owl and i'm not saying that i believe that theory by any means where would she have gotten owl feathers in her hair from maybe they visited a wildlife center earlier that day maybe they had a pet owl that they fed i want a pet owl i want a pet owl too like more than you even know they're so cute get me a pet owl guys <laughs> no um all right so he's out now. He is out. Walking free. Absolutely. Um, anybody around him, don't marry him. You might end up at the bottom of stairs. Well, no, just, just don't even be his friend because Elizabeth well, wasn't true. married to him. That's true. Just just don't go around that dude in stairs. Have a ranch house if you're going to have Oh, anything. actually, that's hilarious that you said that because I didn't put that in, but apparently he lives in a ranch house now. He specifically got a house without steps. I Gee, that. I can't imagine why. But okay. if you're interested in the case, the staircase yeah. is, is a pretty good Very cool. depiction of the case. All right, this next one's going to blow your mind because it has so many twists and turns. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I can't wait. All right, this is the Pam Hupp case. Okay. Pam's a bitch. All right. Bitches be tripping. You got to work with me here. Okay. Because i got to give you some history before I can get to where she took an Alfred plea. Okay. In December of 2011, a man named Russ Faria found his wife dead she was stabbed over 50 times and the knife was sticking out of her neck now obviously he didn't know she was stabbed 50 times right when he but, found her but there's i'm sure blood everywhere and a mm -hmm. knife sticking out of her neck mm -hmm. um he calls police he is absolutely hysterical because i would be too oh, yeah but he makes a comment that he thinks his wife committed suicide which blows my mind like i I can't imagine why you would think that she committed, even if she had threatened previously, which she had. She had actually previously attempted suicide. And what she, was her previous attempt, though? How did she do it? I don't know. I don't know if it told me that. Because I think that's very relevant. You're because, right. again, I think the human psyche and the will to live is very, very strong. So to stab yourself once, let alone 50 times, and then leave a knife in your knee. Well, like, he did that not is know so... that it was 50 times. He definitely did not know that. But she did have terminal breast cancer. Oh. So, I guess... I can understand suicide wanting to be an option. I cannot understand why someone would choose that method if they were oh, no. going to. Not at there all. There are much more effective, less, you know, degrading ways to go. I agree. Mm -hmm. So, that day, Betsy had gone to do chemo. And her friend Pam, pup, drove her home. She testified in court. Pam did. Mm -hmm. That Russ was an abusive husband. Um, a couple days before, or I think it was a couple days or a couple weeks before she died, she had actually changed her life insurance policy and made Pam the beneficiary. But the understanding was that Pam was going to get $150,000 and some of that money should be set aside to go to her daughters. Mm -hmm. um, but they never got that money. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, it's crazy. Pam's a good friend, though. Uh, apparently. So, Russ got arrested. I mean, he's the obvious suspect. Of course. And part of why they said he was a suspect was because of his actions on the phone and the whole committing suicide thing. And they well, felt like he was playing it up. Well, if you had stated that, you know, you're just stating facts. She had, she had threatened before. She has terminal cancer. But, you know, on the other hand, she is going to chemo. So she is actively trying to fight this cancer. And you're traumatized. But you're traumatized. You're of shocked. Of course. You're hysterical. Right. I would be, too. So, he gets convicted, 2013, sentenced to life in prison. Wow. He maintains his innocence. He says, I am completely innocent. And in 2016, uh, they had a new trial and he got released. Good. 
Um, they Nobody thought it was suspicious that she just randomly changed her insurance policy a couple they, days before her death. They did, but I think Pam explained it away by saying he was an abusive husband. She was scared and she was trying to hide the money and make sure her daughters got it. Again, time frame though. I agree 100%. If someone's abusive to me, I don't know when they're going to kill me. But it's just really odd that it happened like a couple days before she died. Seems really suspicious to me. Yeah, I would agree. And part of the reason he got released was a lot of the evidence was circumstantial. I would there think. There was nothing really, like, he had alibis, you know, all of that. So, he sued for wrongful imprisonment, and he got $2 million, him. so go him. Go him. A few months later, Pam shot and killed this guy named Louis Gumpenberger. She said he had accosted her and demanded Russ's money, and she had to shoot him in self-defense. They also found a note in his pocket that said to kidnap Hup and get Russ's money. Quote. Mm-hmm. Um, she was attempting to deflect attention because a lot of people had suspicions of her. I'm um, sure. She was the last one to see Betsy. And the thing is that uh, Pam had some conflicting statements. I think originally she said she dropped her at the door. Mm-hmm. Then she said she only went into the kitchen. Then she said she took her up to the bedroom. Mm, so not there good were when conflicting your story statements. changes. So, Lewis, the man she shot, he had a significant brain injury from a car accident. And it was said that he could be easily swayed mm-hmm. and uh, taken advantage of. So That's terrible. they thought that Pam may have lured him into her house by saying she was a producer for Dateline and needed help reenacting, doing a reenactment. Interesting. The reason they think this is the case is because she had previously said this to a woman in a nearby neighborhood a couple days or a week beforehand trying to get her interesting so she gets arrested she's charged with lewis's murder she doesn't deny she murdered him she just says it's self-defense god and the note did they do handwriting analysis was it her handwriting was it his that i don't know interesting but it's possible she got uh him to write it as part of the reenactment exactly she took an alfred plea to avoid the death penalty and she got sentenced to life in prison easy enough but here's where it gets more fun 2021 she gets charged with betsy's death finally the trial was supposed to start this year in february okay but it's been delayed indefinitely what why her public defender died of a heart attack so so now a new lawyer has to come in and review 10 years worth of evidence i understand that but like indefinitely would mean not ever oh no it'll eventually happen oh okay I'm sure, but But they're going to need a lot of time to And I'm okay with that, because she's going to rot in prison. Isn't she in prison? Yeah, she's in prison anyway, so. so. She's going to rot in prison. But I hope she gets charged. Yeah. Here's a fun fact. Hmm. Pam's mom died in 2013 at the age of 77. She... Was she at the bottom of the stairs? No. She (laughs) fell from an apartment balcony on the third floor, though. That's not suspicious. No. Pam was the last person to see her alive. Also suspicious. There had been a life insurance policy. How much? I don't know, but she also had brothers and sisters, so it was split among them. Got it. But it doesn't. It almost doesn't even matter. No. The coroner ruled her death accidental, but she had eight times the normal amount of Ambien in her system. Okay. And I don't see someone doing that to themselves. Okay, so only because I know what I know about Ambien, I, I know personally several people that have been on Ambien, they hallucinate bad. But why you would have eight times the amount of Ambien in your system? Like... 
that begs me the question, if I were the investigators, how long has she been on Ambient? Um, has it been a long time? Is she getting like, is her body getting used to it that she needs to take more? Like, it just seems odd. So in, in that regard, if she was hallucinating at the time, it also depends on what time of day she, she fell off the balcony. Yeah, there's a lot of details that they don't necessarily give you. You get the brief synopsis. Right. And sadly, that's what I'm giving you as well. But it just so happens that there's a lot of death around this woman. There is. There is a lot of suspicious death. Exactly. So, in 2016, the coroner changed the uh, cause of death to undetermined. Hmm. So, I don't think she'll ever get charged with that, but... No, but it does open up, the po open up the possibility. All right. We are on... Uh, I believe we're on case nine now. Hold yep. on. I can tell you in just a second. Yes, we are. So, case nine... I love this case. It is <laughs> awesome. And it is only awesome for how it was solved. Is this more, better or worse than Jesus is a Vampire? Oh, that's tough. Like, the way they solve this case is ingenious. But uh, Jesus is a Vampire is pretty, yeah, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. So this is about Raven Alperoa. Love that name. Raven is, a, and that's a guy. He's oh wow, right. even better. I thought it was a girl at first, but even it's a better. So Raven was married to a woman named Janet, and she was found dead in her bed by Raven. He said she had been in her bed. She was getting ready to go to bed when he left to go play soccer with his friends. Now it's not clear what time of night this was. I was going to say, what was. time of day is this happening? It was at night, um, but I don't know if it was like eight or like eleven. Not sure. Um. Either way, he was going out, she was tired, so she was going to bed. Their six-month-old son, Caden, was in another room, completely safe, unharmed. So, hold on. Hold up. Chick goes to bed, baby, six-month-old baby, in another room, and dude just decides to leave and go play soccer? What's he supposed to do? Sit with a sleeping baby? Oh, good point. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't see the problem there. Sorry. It just, no one would just ever because, have a life. No, no, no. Well, I mean, babies, I, I mean, obviously I'm speaking from the, I, I'm not a mother, but like the perception of babies, especially in the first couple of months of life is that they're up, they're feeding a lot. They're making a lot of noise. Like you, you see the quintessential parents that haven't slept in days because the baby keeps waking up. So I, I guess for me, I'm thinking that baby probably isn't, I mean, I guess it's possible they could be sleeping through the night. But again, also, what time is this? So, like, mm, anyway, I, mean, I think I would also, just be concerned. But they could also have the kind of relationship where, you know, she just gets up with the baby and that's, it is what it is. That's true. Because some relationships, that's what they do. That's true. On top of this, it wasn't clear if they knew, but Janet was also pregnant. Um, it doesn't tell me how far along she was. Just when Damn. they did an autopsy, she was also pregnant. She was found in a kneeling position and had been stabbed, which is weird to me. That she died in a kneeling position. I mean, I guess it's possible, but to me that just seems odd. You would think you'd fall over. But whatever. Yeah. Where was she stabbed, does it say? Uh, I believe she was stabbed all over. Oh. But she was still kneeling? Yes. That is a little weird. Yeah. So, Raven had a knife collection. Because of course he did. And it was clearly missing. Because that's <laughs> what happens. Somebody comes in and <laughs> steals your knife collection and murders your wife while you're gone. Just so happens. His laptop was also missing. Uh, they found video surveillance from a convenience store, and it showed Raven was wearing a different sweatshirt than what he claimed he had been wearing after soccer. Okay, so that's, that's weird. suspicious. Yeah. Uh, so they never have proof. 
can't prove everyone suspects Raven, but of course there's no proof. So he moves to Utah, gets married again to a woman named Vanessa. Like you do. Janet's sisters tried to warn Vanessa. They told her, don't trust him. They told her, you know, we're pretty sure he killed our sister. Well, good for them for trying. But she trusted him. Because yeah, I, well, in, if you're in a relationship with someone, you're probably going to trust your yourself and that relationship more than you're going to trust anybody outside of the relationship. I think that's pretty pretty normal well it's so easy to turn around and be like well they hold a grudge against me exactly you know it's so easy to get someone to believe that i think i'm not totally surprised i actually give them a lot of credit for trying to warn her well four months after they got married she she pieced out on that one she claimed he was abusive and then she publicly said that she believed he killed his wife good for her for piecing out knowing her worth get out absolutely So no motive was ever given on why he would want to kill her, but there were some things that had led up to potentially why. Um, He had taken out a $500,000 life insurance policy on her. It had been, I think, within a couple months of her dying. Uh, Let's see. He pled guilty to embezzlement in 2005, and he was put on probation for two years. He and and Janet both had worked at a place called Eurosport, and Mm. Raven embezzled $9,000. He was fired, and they didn't fire Janet. I think she kind of up and quit before they could, because it was... Mm-hmm. It would look worse. Yeah, I mean, she was, she but was re- married to the guy that did it, yeah. so... But $9,000, really? Either they have a really good financial investigative team, or, you know, he... What, really? That's it? Like... Yeah, yeah, 9000 But here's my favorite part. So at this point, a new detective gets assigned to the case. They're looking through crime scene photos. They're trying to figure out... You know, trying to find the angle. Mm-hmm. This person, I forgot, I didn't get their name, I apologize. I believe it was a female. Realizes that sitting on the table is an open contact lens case that doesn't have contacts in it. Now, family and friends of Janet said if she was getting ready to go to bed, she would have taken her contacts out. That's the first thing she did before she got in bed. Oh. So, hmm, what could this be? Well, they arrested Raven in february 2010 on suspicion of murder and in july they had her body exhumed they wanted to see if she had any contacts and guess what she did she totally did so she was wearing contacts when she was murdered this is like the key piece of evidence to convict raven first of all that's kind of crazy second of all really during autopsy they don't check to see if you have contacts in i don't know if they typically do and, and it could be something that they notice but or even it, I don't when, know if you take a note on that or not. Even when you're preparing a body for a funeral or something like that, like, contacts will dry out, and then they start to shrivel. And they'll shrivel on your eye, mm-hmm. so it will distort things. So I'm surprised, actually, nobody nobody saw that prior. I don't know, but I just think it's the coolest thing that ever. That is awesome. Like, you definitely got busted because yep. of contact lenses. So he went to trial in 2013, but the jury deadlocked, and it was declared a mistrial. A second Fun trial... Jury. Yeah. A second trial was set for 2014, and he was like, I'm not going to do this. So he entered an Alfred plea. He was sentenced to 95 to 123 months in jail, which really pisses me off, because can't we just say years? Yeah, right? Why months? <laughs> That's like people who say, months. my kid is 23 months old. No, your kid is almost two years old. 95 months, I want to say, is around 10 years. Um, I forget what 120... I don't math good, either. I don't English <laughs> or math good. <laughs> <laughs> so, he got credit for four years served, and he got released in December 2017. 
But I just like this case because it got busted by contact lenses. Okay, whoever marries this dude, wear contacts! Because apparently he can't figure that out. But I'm also surprised, well, okay, he said that she was in bed when he left. But yet she was found in a kneeling position. Yeah. So first of all, that doesn't make sense. So if he had just said, hey, she was going to bed, then maybe you could make the case that, hey, she was kneeling to pray, praying before bed. She hadn't Somebody, taken her contacts Exactly. Yet. Her contacts hadn't come out yet. You know, someone randomly broke into the apartment, stole my knife collection, murdered my wife, and then left with no other evidence. So you could at least, you know, make that claim. Again, not trying to give people ideas, but murderers are not smart people. No, and you have to think of all the details, like contact lenses. That is vital. Like, that is the stupidest thing to get caught on. It is. I'm sorry. But that's awesome. Yeah. It really is. All right, we've made it. To number 10. Woohoo! Now I'm going to preface this and I'm going to say this breaks my heart. That Why? I had to shorten the facts in this case. <laughs> this is my favorite case of all time. Um, oh, I know which one this is. Yes, you do because I can't <laughs> shut up about it. Um, this wasn't the first case I ever got into. Uh, the first cr true crime case I ever read was I, I went into my older sister's room. And took a book from her, and I read about, like, this woman who had her baby cut out of her stomach, and that's when I got into true crime. Damn. But this case was the first case that I ever really studied, went through all the documentation, read transcripts, looked at evidence. I mean, I was, I was borderline obsessed, maybe. Mm. Not borderline. <laughs> um, so, anyway, this is the West Memphis Three. Yep. If you haven't heard this case, it is interesting. At, at least I think. So, you may hear me refer to them as the WM3 as well. Mm. I had to cut down the info, but believe me, there is much more. In May of 1993, uh, there were three boys, Stevie Branch, Chris Byers, and Michael Moore, and they were found dead in a water-filled ditch near Robin Hood Hills. And they were found less than 24 hours after they were reported missing by their parents. They had been out riding bikes um, and went missing. Right, they were in Robin Hood Hills. Are you sure somebody didn't, you know, just rob them to... Steal from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Bad joke? I mean, they were like little boys. Sorry. Shit. I Sorry. think they were like, you know, I didn't write this down and that's really sad, but I believe they were like seven and eight. They were little. Oh, wow. They were really young. Yeah. At the most, they were 10, but I want to say they were like seven and eight. Okay. I could be totally wrong. So they were found naked. They were beaten and they were hogtied. One of the boys, uh, Chris Byers, had also been castrated. Dang. They didn't find much evidence. Um... Because of the way they had been found, there was a suspicion of a satanic cult being responsible. Now, mind you, this was uh, in, I believe it's in Tennessee, on top of the fact that it's, like, country-ish. The Bible Belt. The freaking Bible Belt. Satanic panic. Yep. So, there's a local boy in town. His name's Damien. He... <laughs> Reminiscent of the omen, anyone? Right? I mean, he couldn't have a worse name for this case. Right. His name's Damien. He's guilty. Yes. Yes, clearly. He had been in some trouble. I mean, he was just, he was a kid who acted out. And he had a juvenile probation officer, I think for stealing or something. He had previously told this officer that he had believed in and was practicing magic. It was just something that they had mm -hmm. talked about. This officer shared that information with the police. Well, they went on their satanic panic kick. Okay, so practicing magic and say, Satanism, not the same category. I'm sorry if you rope it in the same category, but so not the same category. If you think back in the day, alchemists were modern day doctors. So magic is not that far off of, is the exact same thing in, you know, back in the day 
um, to that kind of thing. So if magic, just clarifying for everybody, is just putting your personal energy and intent into something, that's it. Doesn't mean you believe in a devil. Well, on top of that, Damien really committed a terrible sin. He wore a lot of black and was into what? heavy metal and stuff. What? So, I mean, you know he's out there worshiping. How dare he? Just saying. <laughs> so, there was another boy. His name was Jason Baldwin. And him and Damien were friends and spent a lot of time together. But Jason didn't believe necessarily in the same things that he did. He did, however, like art. And it was sort of towards the dark side, you know. But who, at that age, I mean, these, I didn't write that down either. That's terrible. They were like 17. I think Damien was 18. Jason, I think, was 17, and Jesse, who is the third one, was either 16 or 17. So you're telling me that there are teenage boys in Tennessee of the Bible Belt that are rebelling. Have you ever heard of such a thing? No. No. Never, ever. Okay. Just making sure. Just checking. The last teenager was Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and he didn't really have a whole lot of connection to uh, Eccles or Damian Eccles or Jason Baldwin. Um, I think they probably, like, knew each other from around, mm -hmm. but... They weren't friends or anything. So a woman that Jesse babysat for questioned him about the case, and he agreed he'd introduce her to Damien. So she asked Damien, well, take me to a witch's gathering. I know that's going to make you so angry. Sorry. I'm a Wiccan. No, I don't believe in Satan. That is a Christian construct. I do believe in magic, but again, energy, personal energy, and, and herbs and things for intent. It's praying without herbs. And, and think about it. I mean, this is the Bible Belt. You're talking about teenagers. A witch's gathering was probably something really stupid. Probably. And again, you know? probably the most faux pas thing you could be doing at the time. Yeah. In Tennessee. So um, it, it, it's not much different now in Tennessee. I just lived there a couple of years ago. So, um, but again, a teenager at that time in, in a highly religious area, it's not all that surprising that they would rebel and try to seek, seek out their own thing. So... Because of this, uh, she obviously went to the police and she told them, you know, that she went to this witch's gathering and Jesse <laughs> knew about it and whatever. So they brought Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. into the police station. Jesse had an IQ of 73. He, he had a low it's IQ. just above, I believe 70 is um, what's considered. That's sound, it's either 70 or 75, I don't remember. I think it's 70. So he's literally just above. And... They think when you have somebody like that, you can pretty much lead them into yeah. different different things. And they get these false promises like other interviews I've seen. I'm not necessarily saying this one, but they get these false ideas of if I just tell you what you want to hear, I can go home kind of a thing. Yeah, but usually about, you know, pleasing whoever's asking them the questions because they just want it to be over. Yeah, and he was there for hours. I mean, just hours being questioned. I'm pretty sure no parents were there. Um, how's that legal? Uh, it's not, but somehow they got away with this kind of thing. Interesting. So they had him confess. He had a confession. But if I read the transcripts, mm -hmm. a lot of things he said was were not consistent with the facts at all. So if, let's say... Facts? Who needs facts? This is Tennessee! And I'm talking about not just, like, little things either. Like, if they were like, well, one of them is castrated, he would tell them the wrong one. Or... You know, they were found here. He might tell them something Somewhere different. Else, or yeah. times were totally off. All the times right. were completely off. So, mind you, I love Tennessee. I would live there again in a heartbeat. So, And there were, there were points, too, in the transcripts where you could see that officers were leading him, were giving him right. leading questions. So, what happened is he, he confessed. Damien and Jason were brought in as well. 
Jesse's trial got separated from theirs because he had confessed, and the other two said they didn't do it. His trial began on January 26, 1994, and Damien and Jason's began uh, in February. Jesse got sentenced to life in prison, mm-hmm. plus 40 years. Jason got sentenced to life, and Damien was sentenced to death. Now, he was the only one who was 18, so he was an adult. He could be sentenced to death. So, this is solely on the principle that they wear black, they believe in magic, and they listen to metal. Primarily, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence. Now, I will say this, uh, through a lot of the things I read about, Damien was kind of a teenager. That's the nicest way to put it. He kind of thought it was all a joke. Like, how could they ever find him guilty? Because he didn't do it. Right. So, he kind of probably had the, a bad attitude yeah, in sure. court. But, yeah, that's not either. unusual for a teenager either. No, and he's in the Bible Belt. I mean, all of this stuff's happening. And I really think, like, I, watching some of the videos and things... I really think that uh, he just thought there was no way that anyone could believe Yeah, this. it was so ludicrous. There was no real evidence that connected them, like no DNA, no nothing like that, that could connect them to this case. And it wasn't like, I think they knew the boys, like, again, around town. Right. It wasn't like something where they, like, really knew each other. Yeah, but I mean, I knew the troublemakers in my town. Of course. So, over the years, lots of theories came up. Um, if you want to learn anything about this case there's a great documentary called paradise lost i think there's actually three or four of them and it is just fantastic i mean it gives you so much detail and it's you can see all the twists and turns the case has taken over the years different theories were uh some of them were the parents of the murdered boys there were some very interesting scenarios there about what could have occurred and why uh there was somebody who came into a gas station covered in blood and no one knew who he was or what happened so there was that theory um throughout all of this the wm3 maintained their innocence they insisted they never did it they filed numerous appeals but damien was running out of time because you only have so many appeals that you can process and at some point he was going to get executed so okay i i am appalled by the fact that some of these other cases that we've discussed today get life in prison for murders they've admitted to, yet this kid, with no evidence, is being charged with death for a murder that he didn't do. It's insane. And I'm going to be honest, like, I would love to sit and have a conversation with these three because I can't even imagine, like, their thoughts. I've read a lot by them. Right. uh, You know, so I I have done that, but I just think a conversation with them would be very interesting. Um, He was running out of time. And they had another appeal... And the lawyers suggested maybe they should take an Alfred plea instead of taking it to a new trial. Jason didn't want to do it because for him it would be admitting guilt for something he didn't do. Right, exactly. And I he understand. Just, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be exonerated. But they kind of said, look, if we don't do something, Damien's going to die. That's so they had are. to kind of do it together? It was all or nothing. That's messed up. Yep, it was all or nothing. So he agreed because he didn't want to see Damien die. Um, well, a good, I mean, that's horrible to have to, to be put in that position of maintain your innocence or basically admit to it so that another person doesn't die. I don't think that's a fair position to put anyone in, but I give him props for, you know, taking that position and not letting the other person die. Yeah, I think it was really hard for him. I mean, like some of the interviews and stuff that I read and, and things I had seen, it, I think it was a really hard choice for him. I'm sure. But ultimately he just didn't want to see his friend die. Um, they each got... Uh, released 
at that time with time served it was 18 years and this was in 2011 and i very clearly remember i'm not mm-hmm. even i don't even know where i was working in 2011 i don't remember but i do remember sitting on my computer and pulling up the case and watching it all day long because it was just fascinating mm-hmm. and this is how i learned about the offered plea too so prosecutors still consider this case closed but they haven't been exonerated they're still fighting to clear their names and find the real killers that's one of the things they want to do is really find who did this how do you live that down as these poor kids? And how do you, like, it, it, of that town, of these investigators, of that city, like, how do you live down that there's basically no evidence putting them even in this case, but because people are prejudiced and people have, you know, bad feelings about people that are different, that they basically get, you know, tried for this. That That makes no sense to me. It just... That's, to me, what's wrong with people is their ignorance. And, and I mean ignorant in the sense of uneducated ignorance. Like, we are so busy judging people based on our perceptions rather than trying to find out truth. Because we don't really care about truth as a society. We care more about perception than we do about truth. And that is some something that is fundamentally very flawed in our society. I'm off my soapbox. I was now. just about to say, are you done on your soapbox? <laughs> Not sorry, to give you a hard time. I'm done. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's funny. So, so uh, what I found interesting, because um, I haven't really kept up much with headlines on this, but apparently, as of March 2022, there is new evidence that was just discovered. The defense had previously told them the evidence had been lost in a fire, but a court order gave them the ability to go in and search uh, the West Memphis PD to review evidence, and they submitted a request for new DNA testing to be conducted, apparently on the shoelaces that were used to hogtie the boys, mm-hmm. and they're hoping that maybe they can find who oh, really fantastic. did it. I hope they do, because I think they should be exonerated. They should be. In Try. this case was interesting, too, because so many celebrities got involved. Um, I know the biggest one was, like, Eddie Vedder, mm-hmm. but so many got involved to try to help these guys get free. It's just, it, it boggles my mind that this kind of thing can even exist and happen in today's society. That you can, you know, and I understand being convicted by a jury of her peers. Based on what? Based on what evidence? To me, it's a shame because it just, the, the whole sat- satanic panic might be a category we actually need to cover. Because yeah. there are a lot of cases of it. Yes, there and is. And as someone who has read the satanic Bible, as, and not that I necessarily believe, because, again, like you said, that's a Christian thing. I'm not really Christian, but I, I've i read all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. And the satanic panic, I watched a video, actually, this is hilarious. I watched a video of one of the guys doing, um, talking about the signs of, of Satanism. And mm-hmm. it just, it was so dumb. It was so <laughs> dumb. And it was like set in the 70s, so it was great. But uh, a lot of the stuff that people believe about Satanism mm-hmm. isn't true. Um, there's a lot of hype and Satanists really aren't what you think they are. There's the mainstream idea. Right. And then there's reality. Well, it's the same thing with Wiccans. When you say you're a witch, they automatically have this bastardized Hollywood version of what you think, what people think they are. I don't believe in a devil. You know, I, I believe people have good and bad in them and it's up to them to decide how they, how they run their lives. I don't need some fictitious, you know, grandiose evil in the world to tell me that there is evil in the world because there's even evil in people obviously we're doing this podcast so there's plenty out there (laughs) they're pretty dumb 
but they're out there. I think it's interesting, and I think it's it's a shame when we see things like this. Um, in this case, the offered plea was amazing. I mean, Damien got out, which is huge. Yeah, they all he got survived. Out, but, but right, but he was going to go get executed. I mean, it's great that that didn't happen. I totally understand where Jason was coming from. Completely. And I like that they're still fighting to get exonerated. Uh, agreed, because I think they should. I was mad, too, for them, because with the offer plea, one of the things we said is you can't get compensation. And right. so the prosecution still sees this as a win. They still think their case is closed. And they really didn't want to do the offer plea. Yeah, it's it's really, again, I think they were backed into a corner. They didn't have a choice. In order to make sure this kid survived, they had to take it. But unfortunately for them, they sacrificed a lot to make sure that he survived. And they that's did. including their own compensation, part of their lives, you know, all of this stuff that I can't imagine how they are existing today. And even if they they find the right evidence and they get the DNA and they get exonerated, I don't know how that works because taking the offer plea, you admitted guilt basically yeah so i feel like i don't even know if that how that would work after the fact if you could technically really be exonerated that's a good point because it would still be on your record and everything i mean i would like to think that if they did get exonerated that it would come off their record and the alfred plea would kind of all of that stuff so even anything associated with the case would go away but i understand that in this case you know because they use that plea it's a little bit different but again the but reason I also why think... they used the plea had nothing to do with guilt or not guilt. There was a kid about to die. You know, what would you do? And the thing is, I, I feel like the prosecution would fight that. I mean, they, they fought tooth and nail to keep them in jail and against appeals. They fought for them to get new trials. Like, they didn't want them to get another trial. And I think part of that, and this is me being biased, I think part of that is because they didn't want to get found out. That exactly. It, that they didn't do the research and the investigation they should have. Right. And another thing, if you have to petition a police department for their evidence and you find new evidence, there is something wrong to begin with. There is something wrong with our police departments. And I am all for the police and firemen and everybody that goes out there and fights for our rights every day, but fight for it the right way, not the wrong way. Well, for everybody, it's all about winning and it shouldn't be. It no, should be it about shouldn't justice. Be. Exactly. And that's the problem is too many people, and, and this goes to business, too many people are so worried about being right and pointing fingers at other people that they have completely lost sight of why they're doing the job that they're doing in the first place. Please don't be that way. I so want to sit down with you because you've never watched Paradise Lost. I haven't, have but now I really want to. I really want to sit with you and watch <laughs> it because I I know it in and out mm -hmm. and I just, I can imagine your anger Yeah. in some of these. Like you're going to look at it and be like, no, it was totally him. I just know it. <laughs> we appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten so far. Um, I have heard from a few people who have asked about what we are using to record on. Um, and I wanted to share that information because it is an awesome app. We are using the Anchor app. And that is spelled A-N-C-H-O-R. It is a great app. It's free. And you can record and edit your podcast. It's great. Like I said... Um, Someone had asked me if we have to use microphones, and we don't. We actually are recording on my cell phone. So it is fantastic. The quality is good. And I actually had to go to customer service, too, because we had a small issue publishing. And they are quick, efficient, and got back to us right away. So I cannot recommend them highly enough. If you want to start a podcast, I would start with Anchor. Thanks, Anchor. 
Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the second episode of our podcast. We have a new Facebook page called Crime Bitches Countdown. Bitches is spelled with the number one because you know you can't say bitches on Facebook. So it's spelled B number one T-C-H-E-S. We appreciate any comments or feedbacks you have for us. Leave us a message. We'll get back to you. Um, we also have an email address, crimebitchescountdown at gmail.com. Bitches spell the same way with the, the number one instead of an I. Um, like I said, we appreciate any feedback. Um, we'd love to hear what you think, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so please feel free to message us. We'll get back to you. Thanks.